We're turning this evening to 1 Samuel once again and the last chapter of that book, 1 Samuel and chapter 1. This is also the point at which uh, 1 Chronicles begins to pick up the story of the house of Judah. Uh, the First Chronicles is the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah. And so here is the beginning of uh, David. Uh, this is a kind of a prologue in First Chronicles before David's reign begins. Uh, so that's in First Chronicles 10, so that, that's uh, going to increase my workload. Now I have to uh, compare the two uh, together as we go on the, into David's life. First Samuel then and chapter 31. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons, and the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchashur, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was sore wounded of the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword, and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor-bearer, and all his men the same day together. And when the men of Israel that were on the other side of the valley, and they that were on the other side Jordan, saw that the men of Israel fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. And it came to pass on the morrow, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, that they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent into the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. And they put his armor in the house of Ashtaroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. And when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard of that which the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan and came to Jabesh and burnt them there. And they took their bones and buried them under a tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. Amen. Let's once again ask the Lord's help in the preaching of his word. Father, we commit our way to thee now. We pray, Lord, that thou would direct our thoughts. We know, Lord, that our thoughts cannot go in every direction. Uh, Lord, we cannot see everything this evening, but we pray that thou would use these things, that they might be beneficial to us. We pray, Lord, that uh, in the way that my mind has traveled may be a way which is conveyable to all those who are gathered here. And Lord, we pray that we might learn something from the scripture, that we might learn something of ourselves. And Lord, that we might learn something of the world and that we might glorify thee in all that we do. So hear us, we ask thee, and bless us, and help us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's an ignominious end that Saul comes to, finally, after a glorious reign, the beginning of a glorious reign, and 
uh, victories over the Philistines and the battles that he fought, uh, how that he fell away from the grace which had been shown to him. Uh, as you know, my opinion is that it was not saving grace, uh, but it was a grace nevertheless that he should be chosen from among the people, that he should be anointed to be king, and that he should have every opportunity to know the Lord and walk with the Lord. Uh, there is very little, in my opinion, in reading through First Samuel and preaching through First Samuel, uh, which suggests to us that Saul ever really walked with the Lord. Uh, there were times when he sought the Lord. Uh, there were times when he heard from the Lord. But there doesn't seem to be anything in himself that desired the Lord. He never really desired to know the Lord. There's something that we need to think about and consider in our own hearts. Is there a desire for the Lord? The Lord may have shown us uh, some measure of grace. Uh, we have come to hear what the gospel is. Uh, we can understand perhaps from an intellectual point of view what the gospel is. Uh, we can understand again from an intellectual point of view what the gospel requires of us. That we are to believe and that uh, we might uh, know salvation through believing in Jesus Christ. But how deep does that faith go? How deep does that belief go? And what is it that has moved in our hearts that we should desire him? Remember uh, what is spoken of David, and David had his faults as well. We've seen many of them already, and there are greater uh, uh, sins yet to come in David's life. But the Lord's testimony of David was that he was a man after God's own heart. Uh, a man after God's own heart usually uh, comes across to us as meaning that he had similar uh, purposes, similar desires, uh, that he in a way mirrored the way that the Lord thought and uh, the Lord's uh, bowels of mercy and so on. Uh, but well, perhaps we could even go in to this extent with those words and say that he sought after God's own heart. He was after it. He was seeking it. He wanted to know the Lord. He wanted to walk with the Lord. He wanted to know the fullness of the blessing of the Lord. And again, we ask ourselves the question, how much of the Lord do we want to know? How much do we want to be like him? How much do we desire him? How much is he our delight? Remember Peter, when Jesus was going to the cross and how Peter said that though he die with him, he would, he would never forsake him. Of course, it wasn't true. Uh, he did forsake him. But nevertheless, there was that purpose and desire in his heart. And in one interpretation, uh, which came to my mind uh, some years ago, perhaps it was still in Peter's heart, even while he was denying him, and that his purpose was uh, somehow to cause Jesus' escape from the soldiers and didn't connect the two things uh, together at all. But he did deny him nevertheless. So here I just want to look at uh, two main points, uh, though they've got sub-points under them, uh, but the two main points, first of, all, first of all, are the carnality and hubris of Saul. Hubris uh, meaning pride. Uh, so uh, quite often we might think that hubris will mean humility because it sounds the same, but hubris is pride, carnality and hubris of Saul, and secondly, the clearing of the house of Saul. Now, we've seen many of the things which were carnal in Saul, of course, the fact that he wanted to kill David uh, so uh, adamantly and for so long, the fact that he could actually order Doeg to slay the priests of the Lord because they had helped David. Uh, we can see that here is a man who's murder in his heart, 
And as John says, no murderer uh, has the grace of God in him. Uh, he is a man who has departed from the Lord, disobeyed the Lord. Uh, I think it was more than just the disobedience uh, which, was, which was to be seen there. Of course, he was told to slay the Amalekites and he kept some of them alive. It wasn't just the fact that he had mercy upon them, but he thought he knew better than God did. And so again, here was this hubris, here was this, this pride within his heart that he could do this himself, that he didn't need to have the Lord tell him everything that he needed to do. That's, that's always a mistake. The Lord knows what lies ahead. The Lord knows what is in our hearts. The Lord knows how we will be having done some of these things. We noted some weeks ago how that David wanted to slay Naboth, Nabal rather, and uh, how that it was Abigail who came and said, but if you do that, you will be forever sorry. It, it will haunt you to the rest of your life. Uh, you, you really ought not to do that. You're here to serve the Lord. You're here to fight the Lord's battles, not your own. And so she turned him from that folly. And so we see in Saul's life that so much of what he did uh, turned out to evil uh, for him and sadness so in this carnality and hubris of Saul, we, we note, first of all, that Saul's greatest concern, and Saul's greatest concern was himself. It was himself. He looked to himself and what all these things meant to him, to his house, uh, for a, a secondary purpose. Of course, he, was, he, he thought it important that Jonathan should follow him as king. But again, it was his house. What, what, what would become of his house afterwards? In fact, uh, if I remember uh, rightly, he said to David on one occasion uh, that after David uh, had become king, that he would be, show kindness to his house, uh, that he would show kindness. And Saul knew what was going to come, but he sought that. It was his house. It was his name that he had a concern for. In verse 4, then, in this chapter, we read these words. Then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. He was afraid of being abused by uh, the uncircumcised Philistines. He didn't want to be killed by them. He was too proud to die uh, on the end of their sword. He was too proud uh, to, to lose face before the Philistines. Of course, he did lose face before, before the Philistines because when they found him, they chopped off his head, hung his body, his corpse and his, and his head uh, there upon the walls of the city. Uh, so he did, in a sense, lose that. But of course, he wasn't aware of it because he was dead by that point. But while he is alive, he is more concerned about himself than anything else. He takes no responsibility, first of all. He, he, he's not considering the responsibility he has to the men who have followed him. He, he doesn't say to his armor bearer, go and join the soldiers who are still fighting. I'm done for here. Just leave me and go. But no, thrust me through. Uh, I, I don't want to be abused by the enemy. And, uh, but the armor bearer is afraid, of course. He would not, for he was sore afraid. Perhaps he had heard the words of David on previous occasions. If he was Saul's armor-bearer, he would have been there, uh, depending on how long he had been the armor-bearer of Saul. Perhaps he was there when David said that he would not lift up his hand against the Lord's anointed. 
And now the armor bearer is afraid of lifting up his hand against the Lord's anointed, and he won't touch him. And that's a, that's a thing of honor. Uh, we find from the next book in First Samuel, in Second Samuel rather, that there was an Amalekite came and said, well, I saw that Saul was going to die and he asked me to kill him, so I did. He had no fear of, of killing the Lord's anointed. And because he did that, David had him slain because he had put forth his hand against the Lord's anointed. This armor bearer at least has the honor that he would not take Saul's life because he is the Lord's anointed. But Saul takes no responsibility for those who are around him. He's not, cur- not worried about the armor bearer. He's not wor- worried about the other soldiers. He's not worried about anything except himself. And we see that throughout his life. We have to be so careful, don't we, not to be so consumed by ourselves that we miss out on what we might do to others. Quite often it is a situation where perhaps uh, what, we, what we think we need uh, from a community uh, within a church, perhaps, uh, what we need from them overthrows anything that they might need from us. That they might be encouraged because we are there, because, uh, or they might be encouraged because we speak to them. And there are people who have taken umbrage in the past because no one has spoken to them. But there's nothing to stop them speaking to someone else. You know, we, we can be the first mover. Why do we expect everybody else to do everything and us just to sit in comfort? You know, it's very important that we recognize that we are in a community here and a, and a communion and a fellowship. And if you're feeling that you're cut off from some group or other, well, then go and, go and introduce yourself to that group. Let, let, let's be much more careful about how we see our responsibilities. We also see in Saul that there's no repentance. There's no repentance. Here he comes to his armor bearer and he speaks to his armor bearer, but he doesn't speak to the Lord. He doesn't cry out for mercy. He doesn't cry out in these last moments of his life that he might be saved and that the Lord would yet deliver him. We read together from Ezekiel there and how the Lord said, if you turn from your wicked ways, then I will not remember your wicked ways. But Saul has no repentance in his heart. He, is, he, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't acknowledge the fact that he has, he has walked amiss. He, he carries on going his own way. The scripture speaks in, in First Chronicles of how the Lord judged him because of the things that he had done and the fact that he had gone to see the witch of Endor and had familiar spirits. And so there is a judgment there, but he doesn't acknowledge any of these things. No, all he wants is to die so that nobody would abuse him. And not only is there no repentance, but there's no remorse either. He doesn't seem to be saying to his armor bearer anything uh, that he might be uh, somewhat cleansed in his in his own fears and and cares, but there there is nothing there. There's nothing there. As far as he's concerned, he's lived his life, and well, this is how it's ended, and it needs to end now. It's all about the carnality it's all about the world what's going on in the world and what the world can do to him and what people will think of him and and all of those things his fears have become so drawn into himself that there is no thought it seems of the lord at all saul's greatest concern then is himself but then we see also here saul's grievous command 
as he speaks to his armor bearer, draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith. I find it interesting that the book of Samuel begins with Hannah. And Hannah going before the gates of the temple, praying and praying there, uh, in effect saying to the Lord, give me a life, a child. And Saul ends the book of 1 Samuel with the words, uh, if we might paraphrase, give me death and escape. Hannah desires something which is good. And it is a a tremendous thing which she desires. We often forget how much Hannah had to do with the rise of David uh, to the the kingdom. The fact that it was her, her prayer which came before the Lord, uh, which provided Samuel. And how Samuel was so much involved in that that work which was... which underlay the the whole of the kingdom coming together under David in time to come. And the prayers of Samuel. God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But Saul's grievous command then is, give me death, give me death. And death, of course, had really clung to Saul through the years. He desired the death of David took a javelin into his hand on a number of occasions to throw uh, that he might pin him to the wall with it sent forth his armies went forth with his armies himself that he might see the death of David sought to slay him in his bed but he had escaped his wife had let him down uh, by a cord from the window and he had escaped once again on all those occasions he sought to kill David and in his frustration As we've said already, instead of killing David, he kills the priests of the Lord because they had supplied food for David. And he is ready to slay anybody. Death has clung to him. And now it comes and clings to him indeed. And all his desire is for death. I find that particularly sad. That anybody should desire death. For it brings us immediately into the presence of the Lord and judgment. And if a person doesn't know the Lord, the last thing they want is death. Because then there is no hope. While we're alive in this world, there is hope. Where does the old saying come? Where there's life, there's hope. But once we are dead, as a tree falleth, so shall it lie. And Saul is desiring to stand in his iniquity before the God whom he disobeyed and had not acknowledged. It's a grievous command. It's a grievous command also because he is commanding his armor bearer now to slay him. He is commanding him uh, to do this deed. And although we might say, well, Saul was willing to do it himself, and indeed did do it himself, it it was in the terror of, uh, of his pride that he did so. But to command another man to slay him. It was a terrible thing to ask. And then thirdly here, under this carnality and hubris of Saul, we see Saul's ghastly committal. Three things we we see about Saul's death. First of all, of course, he is beheaded. Uh, We find that the men come and after they had had found him, in verse 8, it came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa. 
they cut off his head, stripped off his armor, and sent into the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the house of their idols and among the people. And so they came on the morrow. It seems that Saul was hit by arrows that the, uh, the um, archers had caught him there. Verse 3, and the battle went sore against Saul and the archers hit him and he was sore wounded of the archers. There's a significant thing perhaps about this. Um, if you turn over to First Sa- uh, Second Samuel chapter 1, just for a moment, uh, this is perhaps a, an interesting aside. It says in verse 17, and David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. Also, he bade them teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. It was the archers who had taken Saul. And so uh, they didn't even know that Saul was dead at that point. Uh, they didn't know that he had died there. They didn't know that they had hit him even. But they come the next day and as they move up Mount Gilboa, Uh, They discover Saul's body. Perhaps he is distinguished by his look, uh, by his height. We know that he was a head and shoulders taller than others. That might have uh, um, given them some clue as to who he was. Perhaps because of the armor that he wore, that it was of a finer quality. Uh, Who knows what they saw there, but they recognized him anyway. And so they find him and they behead him. They cut off his head and stripped stripped him of his armor. Is that not particularly significant that they cut off his head? Because where does this, this pride come from? Is it not a pride of the head? Is it not the thinking of the head? Is it not the consideration of the head? The choices which he made, were they not made in the head? Did he not consider himself to be the, the head over the nation rather than the Lord being the head over the nation? You know, when we consider how that all of these things which had gone on in his head, even the, the, the persecutions of his head that were taken away by the playing of David, all of these things. But there is also something else significant in this in the scripture. In Psalm 7 and verse 16, we read, his mischief shall return upon his own head and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own paint, his own pate. And was this not true? Was it not Saul who went out to fight against the the, the anointed of the Lord uh, in David? Was it not Saul who slew the priests of the Lord? And did it not now come back upon his own head? The judgment of God comes back upon us. Uh, He causes those who dig the snare to fall into it themselves. Uh, the, The one that lays the gin to be caught in that same trap. The Lord in so often is ironic in the way that he deals with us again ezekiel 33 and verse 4 and who then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning if the sword come and take him away his blood shall be upon his own head upon thy own head be it is the way that that's come into the english language of course lots of the sayings in the english language come from the scripture upon thine own head be it and here his blood shall be upon his own head. And another verse here in Obadiah chapter 1 verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. Saul had seen the death of others. He had presided over the death of others. He had desired the death of others. And now the death had come upon himself. It had returned to him and upon his own head and his head is taken from him 
and his head is put upon a spike upon the wall of the of the city how sad how sad what a ghastly committal of that body that he should be held up in such a way the very thing really that he desired to avoid and avoided in the fact that he wasn't actually uh, conscious as they as they took his head off but we see how that he says lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through but not only is there this beheading there is also a burning a burning because when the men of Jabesh Gilead come and they uh, take the body the corpse and the head of Saul if you see in verse 12 all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Beth Shan and came to Jabesh and burnt them there there was a burning of those bodies does this not also speak of the judgment of God uh, we know that the scripture speaks about the fires of hell and here it is uh, set before us in in vivid detail really uh, that the bodies of these were burned they were burned but not burned wholly to ashes because it goes on to say and they took their bones and buried them under a tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days so they weren't burned completely so it wasn't like putting them on a funeral pyre and burning them until there was nothing left but lime uh, here uh, the thought perhaps is that these bodies had been because it came to the uh, men of uh, Jabesh Gilead um, sometime after the, the, the defeat of Saul that by the time they got to the, to the city then the bodies would have been infested with maggots and the like and so there would have been foul by that time so they come and I think that perhaps what is being said here is they, they burned them to get rid of the foulness to get rid of the, uh, the, the, the corruption which was there and then took the bones to bury them in Joshua chapter 7 and verse 15, we read, And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire, he and all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he hath wrought folly in Israel. This was speak, spoken of Achan. But Saul likewise had transgressed the covenant of the Lord. By covenant he had been made king. Uh, by covenant he uh, was the one who was to hear what the Lord would say and go forth and stand and fight the battles of the Lord and he had transgressed that covenant he had taken as it were the accursed thing the word accursed is interesting in the Bible because uh, here it is translated accursed but it is literally means something which is God something which is dedicated to God so the accursed thing can also be uh, perhaps the sacrifice which is given. Not because it's accursed, because it's blessed. And so it's one of those words which has a, a dual meaning and the meanings are opposite to each other. So it is something which is the Lord's. And Saul had taken that which was the Lord's, which was the kingdom, and he had taken it to himself. A bit like Achan had taken the wedge of gold in the Babylonian garment. The Lord said, those things are mine. Don't touch anything that is there. Don't steal anything, destroy it all. And anything which is to be kept goes into the temple or into the tabernacle. Uh, that is mine. Don't touch anything. It's all accursed. And so they see how that word accursed has, has taken its meaning. It's accursed because it belongs to me. If you touch it, I am going to deal with you. It belongs to me. And he has sort of taken the kingdom which belongs to the Lord and he had taken it to himself. And he had gone his own way. And so I find it significant the fact that not only is Saul beheaded, but he is also burned. 
and he is burned upon the fire. He has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and he hath wrought folly in Israel, because he had taken, of course, the men of Israel with him to slay the people, uh, to slay David and those who were with him. And then, thirdly, concerning this ghastly committal, there was his burial. And again, verse 13, they took their bones and buried them under a tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. So here was the burial then of the bones. Uh, Remember that Saul was nevertheless anointed of God. Uh, He was perhaps, uh, and we can't be sure of this, of course, we can't judge any man's soul's condition, uh, but he was perhaps not the Lord's, but nevertheless anointed by the Lord. So his bones were taken, they were buried. That is the way of the scripture. And they were buried under a tree, the chronicle says under an oak at Jabesh. And they fasted seven days in mourning. Of course, the fasting was the fasting of mourning. They would put the sackcloth on, the ashes upon their head and fast in mourning for the king. In 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel, And chapter 21 and verse 12, we find that David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, which had stolen them from the street to Bethshan, where the Philistines had hanged them. When the Philistines had slain Saul in Gilboa, and he brought up from thence the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, and they gathered the bones of them that were hanged. And the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, buried they in the country of Benjamin in Zalar, in the sepulcher of Kish, his father. And they performed all that the king commanded. And after that, God was entreated for the land. Now, those are interesting words. We'll perhaps come to them if the Lord tarries. Uh, it's taken a long time to get this far through First Samuel. So to get to chapter 21 of Second Samuel, uh, perhaps it's going to take uh, longer than I've got. But we, will, we shall see. But uh, we find that they take the bones. So they were actual bones. We're not, we're not talking about the ashes of bones because they would have been lost had they been buried. They were the actual bones, which takes us back to that thought. And something which occurs to me just actually reading that again is the fact that they were hanged. Uh, in verse 13 of 2 Samuel 21, he brought up from thence the bones of Saul, and the bones of Jonathan his son, and they gathered the bones of them that were hanged. And that's significant too. Remember the scripture said, cursed is everyone that hangeth upon a tree. And those who were cursed of God were hanged upon a tree. In Saul's case, of course. And although Jonathan also was hanged, uh, yet we could say of Jonathan something uh, much more honorable. In fact, we will just do that now. So the carnality and the hubris of Saul has brought him to this end. And let's just stop for a moment and recognize that that is where the pride of our lives will take us. If we are so taken up with ourselves, if we are taken up so much with the world, the things of the world, the cares of the world, the love of the world, the love of riches, or of, or, or of who we are, our end is not with the Lord. Our desire needs to be the Lord himself, that we might walk with him, that we might know his blessing that we might leave behind us a blessing. Saul left nothing of that kind. How sad when he started off so well. It occurred to me in a similar way to the fact that Hannah begins the book with give me a life 
a child, and Saul ends the book with, give me death and escape. In like manner, we could speak of Saul, this Benjamite, and Saul, who began so well when the Lord chose him, anointed him, put him into the position of a king, and from there is all downhill. Whereas the other Benjamite, who is famous in the scripture, Saul of Tarsus, who became, comes Paul, is taken and it's the other way around, isn't it? He begins breathing out death. He begins breathing out the cursings and seeks to destroy the Christian church and stands by while Stephen is stoned to death. But then the Lord saves him and anoints him. He becomes apostle of the Lord and he goes the other way completely. And by the end of his life, there is a blessing, a blessing which continues to this day. What do we want to be? A blessing to the people of the Lord? Well, then let's seek the Lord. Give ourselves to him and say, Lord, what wouldst thou have me to do? Rather than, what can I get from this? So it takes us on then to the clearing of the house of Saul. And I use these words, the clearing of the house of Saul, because it's significant how Saul dies. It's not by the hand of David. David is completely clear in this matter. And the wonderful thing is it that, is that all things work together uh, to good, for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Uh, now David has his faults, as we, as we know, only too clearly. But nevertheless, he keeps on returning to the Lord because he knows the Lord, he loves the Lord, he desires to walk with the Lord. Sometimes he loses his way, sometimes he, he is uncertain, sometimes he is fearful, and there are all kinds of temptations and trials uh, come to him and he wanders off. But always he comes back again because he knows that in the Lord there is safety. And so many of the Psalms say that, don't they? He is my strong tower. I will run into him and be safe. He is my rock. He is my hiding place. So many different things where David knows where he needs to be. And in those times when he wanders from that position, it seems that he has departed from the Lord. But always there is that within his heart which draws him back like a magnet toward the Lord. And he comes back to the Lord once again in repentance, something which we never see in Saul's life. And so it's a significant thing then that this also works to the good for the one who loves the Lord. And the clearing of the house of Saul, remember that David could have been in that battle, but the Lord cleared him from it. And he goes back to Ziklag. And of course we saw last time the battle between him and the Amalekites. And he has gone back after that to Ziklag once again, and he abides there. And so he is nowhere near this battle. It's nothing to do with him. He's not involved in it in any way. He has had his own battle against the Amalekites. Indeed, still fighting the battle of the Lord. Unbeknownst really to David, uh, he is doing what Saul refused to do. And he has fought against the Amalekites and, and uh, defeated them. Meanwhile, Saul, of course, is fighting here against the Philistines and he is slain. But not only is Saul slain, but his house. So the, the, the Lord clears the house of Saul because David is to be the next king. And if anybody had survived of Saul's house, then they, there would have been a claim to put them upon the throne. In fact, there is a claim because Mephibosheth survives and there is a claim for him to take the throne. But it is not something that Mephibosheth desires. 
at the clearing of the house of Saul then, well, we know what Jonathan would have done. Jonathan had already uh, vowed to David that when that time came, that David would be, be king, that he would be his right-hand man. He would stand with him. He would be his, his captain, and he would, he would find no resistance from Jonathan. And perhaps that is true. But nevertheless, there would still have been a resistance from the house of Saul and from the Benjamites if the, the son of the king was still alive there would have been continually those who would fight against David. But the Lord clears the whole house. However, in Jonathan's case, here is an honorable death. David, uh, Jonathan, of course, when uh, he dies, is a man who dies in honor. In fact, if we just turn over again to Second Samuel and that first chapter, we see there the lamentation of David. A psalm, not surprisingly, from verse 19 to verse 27, not found amongst the psalms, but this is the way it's written. This is poetry. Uh, the form of the Hebrew shows us that it's poetry. And there he writes in uh, verse 22, from the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. Ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with other delights, who put on ornaments of gold upon your apparel. How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? O Jonathan, thou wast slain in thine high places. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen, and the weapons of war perished. But see those words in verse 22, the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back. And the sword of, sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. Jonathan stood honorably with his father even though his father turned out to be who he was yet Jonathan stood with him uh, he would not fight against David he warned David he, he stood by David but the time came where he chose his father over David because that was the honorable thing to do and he dies in the battle so it's an honorable death for Jonathan and even though he is also taken and he is hanged upon the wall of Beth Shan, Beth Shan is just to the east of where they died. They died on Mount Gilboa, which is uh, one of the hillsides. Uh, we would consider it perhaps a hillside more than the mountain. Uh, we think of, it, uh, of um, uh, Everest as being a mountain or one of the, the great high tall mountains that people seek to climb. But they are called the mountains of Israel. And on that hillside, on that mountain side, uh, it was that they fell uh, at the side of Jezreel. And Beth Sham was just to the east and uh, quite north, actually, quite close to Galilee, a long way up the country from where Saul lived. Uh, you wonder how the battle happened to occur so far north. And perhaps the, the, bat, the, uh, the, the armies of Saul had been driven back that far. But it was also almost straight across to Jabesh Gilead. Of course, Jabesh Gilead, uh, as we saw when we considered the men of Jabesh Gilead, uh, and the fact that Saul went and delivered them when they were in problems, is 
much, pretty much due east again from Beth Shan. So the bodies were hanged upon the wall of Beth Shan. The men of Jabesh Gilead were the other side of the river, and it was them who, when they heard about this, came back across the river to Beth Shan and took the corpses and burned them and then buried the bones. So all of this happens uh, together. But de Jonathan's death, even though he is hanged there also, is an honourable one. And yet the Lord is clearing the house. The way is to be clear so that David can take the kingdom because he is the chosen of God. And David has not lifted his hand against Saul. He is clear in this matter. And he is able to lament. And he is able even to honour Saul. And you know the words of that how that he also speaks of Saul. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives, even though Saul had been his persecutor for all of these years. And so David, David's heart is broken that it should end in this way. But it was the Lord's decision, and it was the Lord's way. It was a, a holy design then for all of the house of Saul to be slain, but not by David. A holy design. The Lord has his purposes, and sometimes we can't see those purposes. and We can't see them beforehand. We don't know how the Lord is going to accomplish this. But the Lord is able to accomplish what we cannot see. And we are to wait and to trust in him. And he will do what he will do. And we will honor him. And he will bless us. And finally, this heroic determination. In the end of the chapter, the men of Jabesh Gilead, whom we have said were pretty much due east, from there, it was the first conquest, really, of Saul when he heard that uh, they had been challenged, that they must lose their right eye in order to live in peace. And Saul sent to them, if you remember back, that's a couple of years ago now probably, uh, if you remember back how Saul sent to them and said, uh, in 24 hours I'll be there. And so they waited for him and uh, he came and he delivered them and they fought that battle and Saul delivered them and they remembered and so they came and they took the bodies of Saul and uh, of Jonathan and his other sons who were hanged upon that wall and they delivered them a heroic determination there, there, there was heroism here a great sadness of a man of the world who dies in his sin in his iniquity but many other things which come out of this of those who had fought with honour, such as Jonathan, who stood with him until he died, as such as the men of Jabesh Gilead, who put themselves in danger to come and take the, the heads and the bodies of these men from the walls of Beth Shan, and the fact that the Lord had made the way open for David. And so we come to the end of Saul's life, and we begin to move on into the life of David. And by the grace of God, we will learn something there from David's life. And the Lord has many things to say to us, not just concerning David, not just concerning ourselves, but concerning the Lord Jesus Christ in the life of David. May the Lord bless his word to us.